Last week I preached from uh, Acts chapter 2 on the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. And as I was, uh, and just focused on that, I went back to, um, if, if you go back to that and then you look at Christmas, and uh, which is what we're going to do today, and the Holy Spirit's involvement in Christmas, and then you add to that um, Easter, you can take Easter, if you go to Romans 8, verse 11, it talks about how the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, raised Jesus from the dead. And so you, you take a look at all of the major holidays and, and the major events in uh, Christianity, and every one of them, the Holy Spirit is central and focused in. And so, um, for what it's worth, um, I'm going to get to my point right away. That way, if you fall asleep, you won't have missed much. Um, <laughs> but the most important events in Christian history, Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was all very much involved in. They simply wouldn't have happened if the Holy Spirit hadn't been there. We would not be celebrating Christmas if it wasn't for the role of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you read the um, events of the life of Jesus, and, and consistently throughout his life, the major events of Jesus' life on earth, the Holy Spirit was right there. He was there at the birth. He was there at his baptism. He was there at his temptation. He was there in his ministry at Galilee. He was the one who raised him from the dead. So the major events in the life of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was involved in. The major events in all of Christianity, the Holy Spirit's involved in. The major event for you and I is for us to invite Jesus into our life. And John chapter 3 verse 5 says that we cannot even be born again unless we are born of the Spirit. So without the Holy Spirit, you and I don't even have a chance at being born again and um, going to heaven. The early church sought out um, men appointed by the Holy Spirit. They looked for men filled with the Holy Spirit to serve as elders, deacons, and administrators. Um, you, you look at the history of the world and any great movement of God, any reformation, any great awakening or revival, anything significant that God has ever done in the world has been a work of the Holy Spirit. And the same thing is going to be true in your life and my life. If we are going to see God do anything significant through us, it's going to be because we allowed the Holy Spirit access and room in our life to work through us. Because you and I can do nothing by ourselves. Jesus said that as plain as day. He couldn't have made it any plainer. We, apart from me, you can do nothing. <laughs> apart from the Holy Spirit's work in our life, we will not accomplish much as a church, as a nation, um, unless we come under the direct influence of the Holy Spirit. So, I want to draw your attention to this last verse in Revelation 22, verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, 
Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. That is a marvelous scripture, and it says that when the end comes, and you and I get welcomed into heaven, it's going to be the Holy Spirit there saying, come. He's going to be involved even in that process of our life. So let me say this again. If you and I desire God to do anything significant in us, in our church, in our nation, we have to give the Holy Spirit access. Now, first of all, that means that we dare not grieve the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians 4.30. It means we cannot quench the Holy Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. And it means that we cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit, Mark 3.29 and Luke 12.10. Those three things. You know, if we're going to do any one of those three things, we are shutting out the Holy Spirit from doing significant work in our life. But more than that, there are some positive things that we have to do. And I want you to notice the vocabulary, the verbiage here. We are to be careful to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, and to keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians. Um, Same passage right in there between those two verses. You have the fruits of the Spirit. But he says, you know... I, so I say, walk by the Spirit. Um, and then, uh, if you are led by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. All of those are active verbs. If we're going to be used by God, we have to be moving. You know, I, I gave the analogy some time ago about the old tractors. They didn't have any power steering. And you really couldn't crank the steering wheel until you were moving. The Holy Spirit doesn't work in us to any great extent until we're already moving, till we're walking, till we're being led, till we're following him, uh, until we're keeping in step with the Spirit um, if he wants to, if we want him to move through us. And then in another passage in Ephesians chapter 5.18, it reminds us that we are to be filled with the Spirit, that we are to take up the sword of the Spirit and to pray in the Spirit. So that's 5.18 and then 6.17 and 18. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all kinds, on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying um, for all the Lord's people. So now, having given that as my introduction this morning, I want to spend a little bit of time just reminding you of all the different places where the Holy Spirit caused what we celebrate during this season to happen in uh, the Christmas season. First of all, there's John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a forerunner of the Lord Jesus, and it says that he was filled with the Spirit. Luke chapter 1.15 says, For John the Baptist will be great in the sight of the Lord, He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. So there he was, still in the womb, and God had filled him with the Holy Spirit. Um, 
you know, and to go out in ministry and to prepare the people of, of Israel for the Lord Jesus Christ, that was his role. But he couldn't do it in the flesh. He needed the Holy Spirit in order to pr- properly prepare the road for Jesus. And then there's Mary. And Mary is the mother of Jesus, and she becomes pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in her body, creating what Mary could never create. She had no power to create the Lord Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. Only the Holy Spirit could do that. And so you have that in two verses, in Matthew and in, in Luke, two different uh, ways of framing that. Uh, Matthew 1.18 says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And then there's the aunt. Um, Mary's aunt Elizabeth and the mother of John the Baptist. Um, you know, she, she was pregnant. Um, Elizabeth became pregnant about six months before Mary did. And um, it says that she was filled with the Holy Spirit when Mary went to visit her. Um, Luke chapter 141. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, um, you remember that story, how he was silent during the whole time of the pregnancy. Zechariah and Elizabeth were very old. They were like in their 90s. And uh, Zechariah, when the angel came and told him that they were going to have a child, he said, he said oh, I can't really believe that. <laughs> you know, um, he he would have been just like me. Um, just, you know, a doubting Thomas at that point with good reason. And um, so they didn't, they didn't believe it. And so the angel disciplined him uh, for his lack of, lack of faith and lack of belief and told him that he would be mute. And I can just see, you know, we have mute buttons on our remotes and, and the angel just pressed that mute button in Zechariah. And <laughs> he was silent right up until the time of, of the birth. And when he was born... Uh, they asked what his name should be, and that was the first time that Zachariah spoke, and he said, his name is John. And that surprised everyone, because his name wasn't supposed to be John. It was supposed to follow in his name. His name should have been Zachariah. But Zachariah said, no, his name is John, because that's what the angel had told him. And then, and then after that, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to read all of this, but you can see the length of the prophecy that he gave and, and Zechariah gives a prophecy under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the first part of that um, is all about what Jesus is going to be. And then the second part about how John the Baptist is going to prepare the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus was presented in the temple, Simeon was led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, to the temple to prophesy over over Jesus. And uh, this is the passage from Luke chapter 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, 
when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So those are the Christmas narratives and and the passages that deal with how the Holy Spirit was involved in all the different details that went into the Christmas season. And so friends, I want to remind you again, if God is going to do anything major in us and through us, the Holy Spirit needs to be involved. He wants to be involved. Um, And we have to live our lives in such a way that the Holy Spirit is involved. We, we, we just can't offend him uh, with the way that we're living. We have to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Dr. Larry Hughes was one of my favorite professors at uh, Oklahoma uh, Wesleyan when I was there. And uh, this is actually, he was my favorite preacher. I loved to listen to him preach. And um, he, he would, uh, this was one of the quotes I, I took away from one of his sermons. No person is ever convicted of his or her sin and need of Christ except by the work of the Spirit. No person is ever born into the kingdom of God except by the ministry of the Spirit. No believer is ever cleansed and set apart for service except by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we look into the Christmas story, One thing we're reminded of is that the Holy Spirit, without the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't be celebrating Christmas. And without the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't experience much happening in our own spiritual lives. Now, one of the other things that we notice as we walk through the Christmas story is that the Holy Spirit came upon people who were already obedient. I want you to see uh, four cases in particular describes Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they were righteous in the sight of God, Luke says, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Just living a consistent, righteous, and blameless life, keeping their focus on God, even though they'd gone through their whole life thinking God wasn't going to fulfill their dream of having a child. They just kept steadily living in obedience to God, righteous, and blameless in the sight of God. Then there's Mary, who the scriptures say she found favor with God. Um, That's what the angel told her when he came. And when he told her what was going to happen, that was going to completely disrupt her life, cause the whole community to question her and all of that, she simply said to uh, to the angel, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled in me. Doesn't matter what it costs. Whatever the Lord wants, I am surrendered. I am willing to do what God wants me to do. Then there's Joseph, the father. Joseph was faithful to the law, it says. And when he um, he said he, he didn't want to expose Mary to public disgrace, he had that heart for goodness towards other people. And so he was faithful Um, He didn't want to hurt anyone. He did everything when Jesus was born according to the law. 
He went back to the Old Testament and they circumcised him on the right day. They took him into the right place to, to present him. They did everything according to the law. So Joseph was a godly man in leading his family. And then there was Simeon, the old man, who came. He'd been waiting for this day. God had told him that he wasn't going to take him until you know he had seen the Messiah. And so he'd been waiting, and all of a sudden the Spirit led him to the temple, and he knew when he got there that Jesus uh, was there. And so he walked up to Mary and Joseph, and he put his hands on Jesus, and he blessed them uh, and blessed him. And it says, Simeon was righteous and devout. So the Holy Spirit comes to all the Christmas people that we have in the Christmas narrative, and he comes to them because they've already been living a life that is pleasing in his sight. So we see in the New Testament, um, the Holy Spirit comes upon righteous, obedient uh, people, but the reverse is also true. The Holy Spirit, when he comes to us, he creates obedience in us. Uh, There's one passage that in particular is quoted a lot in regard to the Holy Spirit and obedience. It's Acts chapter 5, verse 32 Um, And it says this, We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given those who obey him. Now I want you to notice as you look at that, it doesn't say the Holy Spirit is given to those who previously obeyed him, or that obedience is the condition for receiving the Holy Spirit, though both of those may be true, um, but it says, the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who will, who shall um, obey him. And so if, if the Holy Spirit's going to work in our life, the one thing he's going to produce in us, he's going to lead us into an obedient, righteous life. Now, obedience never happens because you and I <laughs> make it happen. <laughs> obedience to God never becomes a characteristic of our life unless we have surrendered control of our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is an old um, diagram. There's a better word for it, but um, they have the old throne diagram, and I couldn't find all three in the same font and all of that, but there's... If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through chapter 3, uh, verse 3, it describes three different kinds of people. And the first one is the natural man or the self-centered life. And this is before salvation. You have, you know, a chair or a throne, and the circle represents our life and, and everything outside, everything outside of our life. And you have Christ who is on the outside of our life represented by the cross there, and you have the S up there on the chair, and and we're just completely in control of our life, and I'm going to do what I want. And that's the person before they come to Christ. And then uh, down below, in the circle down below, that's that's where a lot of people are today. And um, that's where we invite Christ into our life, and he's in our heart, and he's in our life, but we've never surrendered the throne. We're still the boss. And we basically tell Christ and the Holy Spirit what he can and cannot do in our life. And I just want to stand before you today and tell you 
that is not where God wants you or his people to be. God's desire, the very best thing that God, the best thing, the best way you can live your life is to move from that to the next place. Where Christ is in your life, but he's on the throne and you get down off the throne. You're still there, but you submit to whatever God wants and to his Holy Spirit and to what he wants to do in your life. That's, that is the, the primary message of, of Christmas. You see that in the Christmas narrative. You see that throughout the scriptures, that God wants to bring each one of us to a place where we're no longer in control of our life. We don't live to please ourselves. We live to honor and please the Lord Jesus Christ. That's God's primary goal for his church that we should be holy and blameless in his sight. And we can't make that happen until we surrender and put Jesus on the throne of our life. It's not good enough just to invite him into our life. We have to live to honor and please him. So, how do we become filled with the Holy Spirit? I, I think, first of all, we have to come to the realization that, yes, we need this. If we're going to um, have God do everything he wants to do in our life, if we're going to have God do everything he wants to do in and through our church and in our nation, we need to realize our need for the Holy Spirit. But just going through life and going through the ritual of, of religion and all of that is not sufficient. We need to surrender and we need the Holy Spirit. We need to desire him. Second, we have to repent renounce known sin. The things that we know in our life that are not pleasing to God, and that's a matter of pulling ourselves off that throne and letting Christ on the throne of our life. We have to repent of known sin. And then we have to surrender daily control and allow the Holy Spirit to come in and just uh, take control of our life on the day-to-day decisions that we make. Too often we give God control of certain areas. We give him the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday morning, or we might give him this hour, or we might give him that or something else, but we don't surrender our life to him. We don't surrender our Saturday night to him. We don't surrender other times of the week or other activities and say, God, what, what do you want of me now, today? That's where God wants to get to with us. He wants us to get to the place where all of our life, 24-7, is dedicated to honoring him. And then the last thing is, friends, is just receiving by faith. The same way you and I accepted Christ is the way we become filled with the Holy Spirit. We trust. Say, Holy Spirit, I invite you in, and we believe that he's coming in.